0: Welcome back, my friends. Welcome back to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of western Japan on this 18th day of January, 2009. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome back all my regular listeners to The Corbett Report podcast, and also welcome any new listeners, and remind all of my listeners to check into the website, corbettreport.com where you'll be able to find a documentation list citing all of the documents from today's episode. Simply click on the Episodes tab on the left side of the homepage and find Today's Episode. Then click Documentation, and you'll find a list sorted by Time Index with links to all of the documents used in the creation of this episode. From the homepage, of course, you'll also be able to find articles written by the Corbett Report in the past, our latest video, interviews that we've conducted, and, of course, ways to contact us here at The Corbett Report. I'd like to apologize to anyone who has contacted me recently, as I have been quite busy working on the Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist documentary, and thus unable to reply to all of the emails I've been receiving. But, of course, I will try to reply to all emails in time, so please be patient. Of course, we are still working behind the scenes on the Al-Qaeda Doesn't Exist documentary and hope to have it released in its entirety soon, but it is taking longer than expected. So, of course, as each installment of the documentary is released, it will be posted to the front page of CorbettReport.com and al com. So your patience during this long and trying process is greatly appreciated, and once the documentary is there in its complete form, I would highly encourage people to begin spreading the links around the internet. And now, without further ado, let's get to today's real news. Today's first real news story comes from the Corbett Report, 17th of January 2009. Purported bin Laden tape... Helps Israeli PR effort. Corporate media refuses to acknowledge suspicions surrounding previous Al Qaeda releases. A new audio tape, purported to be a recent recording of real life Emanuel Goldstein figure Osama bin Laden, has appeared on the site intelligence group's homepage. The tape supposedly features Al Qaeda boogeyman Osama bin Laden exhorting Muslims worldwide to rally in defense of the Palestinians in Gaza and comes just as the near-universal condemnation of Israel for its slaughter of innocent civilians in the region is spilling over into violent demonstrations against the current Israeli regime. The timing of the tape's release is highly dubious, although not altogether unexpected. In fact, it is just the latest in a string of audio and video recordings released at suspiciously opportune times for the very Western powers Osama is supposedly opposing. Past examples include al-Qaeda's number two, Ayman's al-Zawahiri, popping up to rally support around the Bush administration just days before a State of the Union address, two years in a row, and a bin Laden video that was released in the crucial final days of the 2004 presidential elections, tipping the scale in Bush's favor in such a way that even veteran anchor Walter Cronkite pondered the possibility that it was a Karl Rove setup. When Colin Powell was getting set to present the case for the Iraq war to the UN, a Bin Laden audio tape emerged in which he claimed alliance with Saddam Hussein. Now, just as it is finally being widely acknowledged that Israel, in fact, founded Hamas, and the Israeli military is losing its global PR battle with the Palestinians over the Gaza situation, along comes the terrorist everyone loves to hate to equate Palestinians once again with radical terrorists. Today's second news story comes from the Sunday Times, January 11th, 2009. Revealed, the environmental impact of Google searches. Performing two Google searches from a desktop computer can generate about the same amount of carbon dioxide as boiling a kettle for a cup of tea, according to new research. While millions of people tap into Google without considering the environment... A typical search generates about 7 grams of CO2. Boiling a kettle generates about 15 grams. Google operates huge data centers around the world that consume a great deal of power, said Alex Wisner-Gross, a Harvard University physicist whose research on the environmental impact of computing is due out soon. A Google search has a definite environmental impact. Google is secretive about its energy consumption and carbon footprint. It also refuses to divulge the locations of its data centers. However, with more than 200 million Internet searches estimated globally daily, the electricity consumption and greenhouse gas emissions caused by computers and the Internet is provoking concerns. A recent report by Gartner, the industry analysts, said the global IT industry generated as much greenhouse gas as the world's airlines, about 2% of global CO2 emissions. Data centers are among the most energy intensive facilities imaginable, said Evan Mills, a scientist at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California. Banks of servers storing billions of web pages require power. Our final real news story today comes from cbc.ca, January 9th, 2009. Canadian military getting 1,300 new trucks. National Defence Minister Peter McKay announced the acquisition of new trucks for the Canadian forces on Friday. The Canadian forces will be receiving 1,300 new heavily armoured trucks for domestic use, An acquisition Defence Minister Peter McKay touted as a boon for the economy and a necessity for rebuilding the military's aging fleet. This is an important acquisition for the Canadian forces, said McKay. I can tell you in speaking with members of the force, our leadership, down to the truck drivers, Everyone is extremely excited to be receiving these all-purpose vehicles. McKay described the all-purpose trucks as the workhorses of the fleet and said they will allow the military to do more with fewer trucks. He also painted the purchase as good news during challenging economic times. As part of their contract, Navistar must generate a dollar of economic activity within Canada for every dollar received. The $274 million contract was awarded to the Illinois-based Navistar Defense LLC. Though McKay acknowledges the vehicles will be manufactured in the United States, he says some component parts will be built in Canada. Other economic benefits will come from the products used in conjunction with the trucks, which will be Canadian, said McKay. He added that it's part of a larger effort to modernize the army that will positively impact the country. Welcome, my friends, welcome to episode 70 of the Corbett Report podcast, How to Predict the Future. Now, of course, that's a very bold title for today's episode. Indeed, one need only ask the outgoing President of the United States, the Commander-in-Chief himself, to find out that, in fact, it would be impossible to predict certain events, like, of course, the tragic events of September 11th, 2001. 9-11
1: 9-11 what did
2: it do to you it made me realize my most important responsibility is to protect the country from attack i mean it changed was, you yeah it changed me it changed the country too and uh it's um you know i still have images of those days uh, vivid in my mind and i told the american people i wouldn't tire and wouldn't falter and
3: i haven't knowing what we know now could it have been prevented did, did someone have information I, you know
2: those kind of questions are right
3: you know. Well, but we learned for the future. Don't well, we, we
2: didn't know anything. I mean, I, we n- nobody knew. Nobody predicted that guys going can fly airplanes into major buildings in New York or the Pentagon. So
0: Yes, I think we'll have to side with George W. Bush on this one. How could it have been possible for anyone, even someone involved in the vast multi-billion dollar American intelligence apparatus or the multi-trillion dollar American defense apparatus, possibly predict the events of 9/11? Unless, of course, they had been listening to the radio broadcast of William Cooper, a retired U.S. naval officer and popular shortwave broadcaster, from the June 28, 2001 edition of his shortwave broadcast, The Hour of the Time.
1: Can you believe what you have been seeing on CNN today, ladies and gentlemen? Can you believe it? <laughs> Supposedly... A CNN reporter found Osama bin Laden, took a television camera crew with him, went into Osama bin Laden's hideout, interviewed him and his top leadership, his top lieutenants and colonels and generals in their hideout. This is a CNN reporter with a camera crew. And he came out and told everybody, within three weeks, Osama bin Laden is going to attack the United States and Israel. Now, don't you think that's kind of strange, folks? You see, because the largest intelligence apparatus in the world, with the biggest budget in the history of the world, has been looking for Osama bin Laden for years and years and years, and can't find him. The FBI also, under the leadership of Louis Free, has been looking for Osama bin Laden for years and, years and years and years and years and years and many years and can't find him. Some doofus, jerk-off reporter with a camera crew waltzes right into his hideout and interviews him. And you know what his budget is? <laughs> Zip, zilch, Nothing. Now, that tells us two things. Either everyone in the intelligence community and all of the intelligence agencies of the United States government are blithering idiots and incompetent fools, including the entire apparatus of the FBI and all of their personnel, or they're lying to us. They're not looking for him at all. And the second is the truth. But they're not looking for Osama bin Laden because I'm telling you right now, if I were the head of the Central Intelligence Agency, within two weeks I would have him dead or in custody without fail, without fail. If I had those assets and that money, he would be mine. I would own his terrorist ass within two weeks without fail. A reporter from CNN and his little camera crew got in to Osama bin Laden's secret hideout and conducted an interview. If you don't believe me, tune in to CNN. They're probably running it right now as I'm speaking. And if you believe it, you are one of the stupidest jerks that ever lived on the face of this earth. And whatever is going to happen that they're going to blame on Osama bin Laden, don't you even believe it.
0: Or perhaps the U.S. government and intelligence agencies should have been listening to the Alex Jones public access TV show in Austin, Texas on July 25th, 2001.
4: And I won't want you to believe Alex Jones. I want you to go get these news stories off my website. I want you to call these major newspapers. I want you to find out these statements were true by the White House about preparing for martial law. And I want you to let them know that if there is any terrorism, We know who to blame. The point is, if any terrorism comes, it's from this government. And if there was an outside threat like a bin Laden, who was a known CIA asset in the 80s, running the Mujahideen War, and whose family builds all the military bases over in Saudi Arabia right now, and sits on the board of Iridium Satellite, he's the boogeyman they need in this Orwellian phony system. Call the White House and tell them, we know the government's planning terrorism. We know Oklahoma City and World Trade Center was terrorism. We know the Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted to blow up airliners, Baltimore Sun. If you do it, we're going to blame you because we know who's up to it. Or if you let some terrorist group do it, like the World Trade Center, we know who to blame. And you could save the planet. I'm calling it Operation Expose the Government Terrorist.
0: All right, so it seems that there were people who indeed did connect the dots before 9-11 and were aware that an attack was going to happen, that it was probably going to take place in New York and Washington on the East Coast, that it might involve the World Trade Center, which they'd attacked before, and that the blame would inevitably rest on CIA asset Osama bin Laden. But perhaps that's unfair to Bush. After all, it was his contention that no one could have dreamed that people would take airplanes and use them as missiles to fly into buildings. Well, almost no one. Of course, the Pentagon scenario planners had come up with several reports which detailed exactly that scenario. Uh, They detailed that scenario twice, in 1993. They detailed that in a 1999 scenario report, and in 2000. There was, of course, the Project Bojinka plot from the mid-1990s, which included crashing a plane into the CIA headquarters. There was actually a live exercise at the Pentagon in October 2000, a mass casualty drill, which envisioned a plane being flown into the Pentagon. There was, of course, the March 2001 pilot episode of the Lone Gunman, in which a plane was flown into the World Trade Center by remote control by elements within the United States government in order to blame a tinpot dictator in the Middle East and launch wars of aggression for control of oil and for military industrial profit. And there was the July 2001 summit of the G8 in Genoa, Italy, where, in fact, Bush's life was threatened by the plot of flying a plane into the hotel that he would be staying at in Genoa, requiring the installation of anti-aircraft batteries around the G8 conference and requiring Bush himself to spend one night on a U.S. aircraft carrier in order to safeguard against the threat of airplanes being flown into his location. But... Of course, no one could have predicted this type of thing would happen. Well, for all of that information, again, please see the documentation list of today's episode to find an excellent article from 911truth.org entitled Bush, Rice, and the Genoa Warning, Documenting a Demonstrable Falsehood, which destroys Condoleezza Rice's May sixteenth, two 2002 statement that, quote, I don't think anybody could have predicted that these people would take an airplane and slam it into the World Trade Center, end quote. So just as one does not have to believe in astrology and crystal balls in order to understand how the Pentagon planners and various intelligence agencies could have had an idea of this type of threat before 9-11, one does not have to believe that people like William Cooper or Alex Jones are somehow fortune tellers. No, predicting the future is not astrology, it's not a Byzantine art of wizardry. It's merely the obverse of episode 68 of the Corbett Report, Lessons from History, If one understands history and the world that is taking shape around them, it is easier to understand what is going to happen. Now, for the skeptical listeners among my audience, and I recommend everyone to be skeptical and, of course, to check out everything for themselves... But if more proof were needed that one's access to information was predictive of one's ability to understand what's going to happen in the future, of course, more evidence can be provided than merely two radio show hosts who are predicting Osama bin Laden will be blamed for a major terrorist incident several weeks before that exact scenario played out. Now, two examples that I'll provide today are, first, this one from Daniel Estulin, longtime Bilderberg researcher. Back in 2006 at the 2006 Bilderberg conference in Ottawa Ontario Daniel Estelin had this to say about the economy and where it was likely to be headed in the next year to year and a half
5: one of the things that you know we're getting from this morning this from this morning also is about the via uh, the, the energy crisis world well, this the afternoon conference which started at about four o'clock 4 430. They we were talking about, uh, one of the American delegates, I, I wasn't told who exactly it was, was talking about the uh, the concern that the American citizens have had with the, with, you know, with the housing prices going down, so they're not investing that money. So what they need to do is they needed to create the illusion that everything is going well. So what they're going to do over the next year, year and a half, is to bring the market back up to 1998, 1999 levels. They're going to get all the suckers to invest whatever little money they have left over, and that's when they're going to make the economy less. Bottom drop out. They need to destroy the economy because as we're running out of oil, when people don't travel, at least that's what they're saying. When people don't travel, when people don't have money, they don't travel, they don't spend any mm-hmm. money, which means they you don't know, waste a lot of uh, 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 oil and natural gas. That's mm-hmm. but actually the true people uh, who are members of the Bilderberg Club. It's actually members that are. They members of the Bilderberg Club who, for years and years and years, have been going and participating in all the conversations. They've always been dead on, always. And last year they said the oil prices are going to go up to 150. At the time, it was 39, went up to 76, yeah. basically doubled. Yeah. If it doubles again, yeah. it's going to be back to
4: where these people are. If that Will at 150.
5: Well, the, uh, the Iran thing is on the back burner. Uh, it was very much on the agenda last year, but from what uh, I'm getting at this year's lunch, today's lunch, today's lunch, and uh, a few people playing golf, the Iran is definitely sour, and they're not uh, exactly sure how to do this thing.
0: Yes, that's right, Estelin predicted that the housing bubble was going to be propped up, they were going to get the suckers to invest all of their money in it, and then they were going to pop it in the next year to year and a half, as a way, of course, of furthering their agenda for world hegemony at the hands of a private banking elite. Another instance that we can provide is this from Lindsay Williams, who we featured in our Peak Oil episode of the Corbett Report podcast and who made a startling prediction in July of 2008 when crude oil prices were at $150 a barrel about the price of crude oil in the coming months.
2: And so I said, after we finished just a friendly conversation for a few moments, and I was amazed that he was willing to talk to me. Now understand that this man knows everything that's going on. He knows what's happening behind closed doors. Uh, He knows what's planned by the elite so I asked him I said the price of crude oil the price of gasoline at the gas pump is really affecting the American economy now folks you start writing now you have your pencils handy this is where you start need to take notes never mind what's happened to me Uh, but the main thing is that you know what's going to happen in the next 12 months are you ready that's right I asked him I said where is the price of crude oil going he said well it's going up and I said, about how much? I, I, he wouldn't take state an exact figure, but I gather that within by the end of the summer, we're going up at least another dollar at the gas pump. At that point, uh, he said, "But and the folks, this this is the one. I mean, the, this should cause you to have chill bumps and to shudder all over." He said, "The price. Now, listen to this carefully." He said the price of crude oil is going down to $50 a barrel. Did, did, did you catch that? That is hard to believe, isn't it? $50 a barrel. I mean, i you cannot imagine what went through my mind. I said, let me make sure I'm hearing this right. I said, five, zero, $50 a barrel. Do you know what that denominates to at the gas pump? That denominates to $2 to $2.50 a gallon at the gas pump. Now the average person would shout hallelujah and jump up and down the hall whenever they heard something like that, but it scared the daylights out of me.
0: Yes, that's right. Back in mid-2008 when oil prices were closer to $150 a barrel and everyone was predicting the oil would be going up, likely to $175 a barrel, Lindsay Williams came out with information that he got garnered from working out in the Alaskan pipeline in the 1970s with, as he termed it, some of the elite who really do dictate what's going on in the world. And one of these sources contacted him, telling him that the price of crude oil would drop to $50 a barrel, merely a few months before it did exactly that, stunning all analysts. Once again, time and time again, Access to quality information means that we have a way of telling what will happen in the future. So, as we are in the early stages of 2009, and it is that time when even in the controlled corporate media we are seeing predictions about the upcoming year, let's use today's episode of the podcast as a way of delving into some of the predictions made by the type of people who have been right in the past. Now, the first prediction that needs to be dealt with is a very famous prediction which we've covered in the Real News section of the podcast in previous episodes that came in late October from both Colin Powell and Vice President-elect Joe Biden.
1: And here's the point I want to make. Mark my words. Mark my words. It will not be six months before the world tests Barack Obama like they did John Kennedy. The world is looking. We're about to elect a brilliant 47-year-old president of the United States of America. Remember I said, standing here, you remember anything else I said, watch, we're going to have an international crisis, a generated crisis, to test the mettle of this guy. And he's going to have to make some really tough, I don't know what the decision's going to be, but I promise you it will occur. As a student of history, and having served with seven presidents, I
0: guarantee you it's going to happen.
1: If you were called into the Oval Office on January 21st by the new president, whoever it happens to be, and he said to you, General
3: Powell, I need from you your recommendation on where I began. What should be my priorities?
4: Where would you start? I would start with talking to the American people and talking to the world and conveying a new image of American leadership, a new image of America's role in the world. The problems will always be there, and there's going to be a crisis
0: come along on the 21st or 22nd of January that we don't even know about right now. So we have Colin Powell predicting a generated crisis that no one knows about that will come along on the 21st or 22nd of January, and Vice President-elect Joe Biden promising, guaranteeing that there will be an international crisis that will test Barack Obama in the first six months of his presidency. Well, these are some very strong and very interesting predictions for 2009, Colin Powell's being particularly interesting because he actually names the dates, the 21st and 22nd of January. Very strange indeed, and much has been made of these statements, as you can imagine. A good source to go to for some analysis of these comments would be the PrisonPlanet.com article from Paul Joseph Watson from October 22nd, 2008, under the headline, What Will Obama's International Crisis Be? But I think it's important to stress that Colin Powell, although he did say 21st, 22nd of January, could have been referring in a theoretical sense to something that will happen early on in the presidency and that if we put all of our eggs in one basket by saying that something will happen on that date for sure, we might be left with egg on our face. Of course, no one is saying that anyone can predict the exact day or the date of what will happen, and perhaps there's no better indication of that than the name of William Cooper's program, Hour of the Time. No one knows the hour of the time of something like 9-11 except those who are actually plotting it. But we can see the broad strokes that are taking place in the controlled corporate media to prepare and condition the public mind to accept an event that's coming. We can also see and read into statements like those of Powell and Biden about the generated crisis, in Powell's words, or the international crisis, in Biden's words, which are going to test Barack Obama. So I guess the first window of opportunity for these events to take place will be in the upcoming week. Of course, we have Barack Obama's inauguration taking place on the 20th and Colin Powell's generated crisis taking place on the 21st, 22nd. So in the light of these comments, perhaps it's significant that Obama's inauguration has actually been declared a state of emergency.
3: While we're on the subject of Washington, here's an indication of just how thick the security is going to be next week in the nation's capital. President Bush today declared a state of emergency for the District of Columbia, in effect this coming Saturday through Inauguration Day on Tuesday. This is largely a formality, it allows the federal government to provide the extra funding for the extra security, but it is an indication of the massive preparations underway in a city that fully expects to be all but locked down for that swearing-in.
0: Again, does this necessarily mean that some event is going to take place at the inauguration? Well, of course not necessarily, and indeed the inauguration might go off without a hitch. But even that in and of itself may be significant because of a story like this one. Now, here's your Pentagon Channel report.
1: Government organizers are predicting the inauguration of Barack Obama on January 20th as President and Commander-in-Chief will be the most heavily attended event in the history of Washington, D.C. And the military will have an extremely prominent and visible role in the day. Members of the Armed Forces Inaugural Committee's Parade Division are busily coordinating the smallest details of the two and a half hour inaugural parade. There are currently over 400 personnel from all five services assigned to AFIC
3: as it's called. It's a, it's a great honor uh, for the AFIC team to represent the over 500,000 personnel who are deployed right now and we take that, that job very seriously. The
1: AFIC team will surge to over 700 in the first week of the new year. In all, over 5,000 military will participate in some way in inaugural ceremonies.
0: Now that ominous report may not mean that an actual event is going to take place at the inauguration. One doesn't need to. Perhaps the whole point of a report like that is to inform us that, yes, once again, the military is using any opportunity at its disposal to condition the public to accepting the sight of uniformed military personnel conducting operations on American soil in violation of posse comitatus. And for more on the significance of posse comitatus and the meaning of martial law, I would direct my listeners to the Corbett Report's YouTube documentary, U.S. Army Prepares to Invade U.S., So once again, I'd like to stress that an event of the scale of a false flag incident or an assassination need not take place on the inauguration day or shortly thereafter for these dire predictions to come true. Indeed, perhaps the idea that the inauguration is a state of emergency is accurate in a broader sense, in the sense that is that President Obama's presidency will be a presidency of emergencies. Now, it's important to understand that emergencies and crises are merely forms of chaos, which the ruling elite of any generation in any society have always and will always use to their advantage to bring about their own order, order out of chaos. This is, of course, the problem-reaction-solution, which we outlined in a previous episode of the Corbett Report broadcast it need not necessarily be a generated crisis or a fake, organized emergency brought about by the power elite, such as 9-11, for it to be used to further their plans to order society under the rule of an oligarchical banking elite, although that usually is the case. But regardless of whether or not these emergencies are fake, media-propagated, false-flag incidents, The point is that they can and will be used by whoever is in power at the moment to centralize control and bring about the furthering of the new world order. Once again, this phrase is not chosen randomly, and it continues to be used by the most influential people in the world. From the floor of the New York Stock Exchange just two weeks ago, Henry Kissinger...
1: What do you think the most important thing is for Barack Obama? Obviously, you're here to talk about uh, the anniversary for U.S.-China diplomatic relations, but if you had to say, this is going to be the country or the conflict or the place that will define the Obama administration, what would it be? Uh, the, the, the president-elect is coming into office at a moment when there are upheavals in many parts of the world simultaneously, you have India, Pakistan, you have the jihadist uh, 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 movement, So he can't really say that it's one problem, that it's the most important one, Uh, but he can give a new impetus to American foreign policy partly because the reception of him is so extraordinary around the world. I think his task will be to develop an overall strategy for America in this period when really a new world order can be created. It's a great opportunity. It isn't just
0: a crisis. Our old friend Henry Kissinger calling for a new world order? Ah, surely a coincidence. Although for those who think that that was just a chance concatenation of words, you might want to check out this article from the International Herald Tribune. January 12th, 2009. The Chance for a New World Order by Henry A. Kissinger. Quote, As the new U.S. administration prepares to take office amid grave financial and international crises, it may seem counterintuitive to argue that the very unsettled nature of the international system generates a unique opportunity for creative diplomacy. That opportunity involves a seeming contradiction. On one level, the financial collapse represents a major blow to the standing of the United States. While American political judgments have often proved controversial, The American prescription for a world financial order has generally been unchallenged. Now, disillusionment with the United States' management of it is widespread. At the same time, the magnitude of the debacle makes it impossible for the rest of the world to shelter any longer behind American predominance or American failings. Every country will have to reassess its own contribution to the prevailing crisis. Each will seek to make itself independent to the greatest possible degree of the conditions that produce the collapse. At the same time, each will be obliged to face the reality that its dilemmas can be mastered only by common action. Even the most affluent countries will confront shrinking resources. Each will have to redefine its national priorities. An international order will emerge if a system of compatible priorities comes into being. It will fragment disastrously if the various priorities cannot be reconciled. The nadir of the existing international financial system coincides with simultaneous political crises around the globe. Never have so many transformations occurred at the same time in so many different parts of the world and been made globally accessible via instantaneous communication. The alternative to a new international order is chaos. The financial and political crises are, in fact, closely related partly because, during the period of economic exuberance, a gap had opened up between the economic and the political organization of the world. The economic world has been globalized. Its institutions have a global reach and have operated by maxims that assumed a self-regulating global market. The financial collapse exposed the mirage. It made evident the absence of global institutions to cushion the shock and to reverse the trend. Inevitably, when the affected publics turned to their national political institutions, these were driven principally by domestic policies, not considerations, of world order." End quote. Compare that to the Corbett report's own article from July 21st of 2008, "Breaking the economy in order to fix it." Quote, "The game plan of the ultra elite, those select few who hold the purse strings of entire nations in their hands, has not changed in centuries." They continue to push for the formation of world government as a way to formalize their control over the supposedly free nations of the world and to expand their already incalculable wealth. The simplicity of the entire plan is laid bare in a simple observation. The financiers used Bilderberg minions like Greenspan and Bernanke to create the problem. Now they send Bilderberg emissaries like Geithner to propose their solution of increased control. They broke the economy, and unless we can expose the operation for the transparent scam that it is, they are going to fix it. A child would understand. End quote. Am I a fortune teller? Do I have the ability to see into the future? Of course not. It's simply a matter of taking the global elite's stated plans at face value and the global elite's stated plans, as outlined by historians of the true history of the United States, like Carol Quigley, as detailed in episode 58 of the Corbett Report podcast, is to use a series of generated crises to bring about the formation of world banking controls, world financial regulatory systems, which will be used to make sure that the levers of power ...of every nation is subordinated to the small banking elite that already controls the wealth of nations. This is my prediction for 2009, namely that 2009 will be the year of economic crisis. Of course, the economic collapse will continue to unfold piece by piece, and this, in combination with international crises like the Israeli-Gaza situation will bring the world to the brink of economic collapse, and that collapse may even start this year. What the collapse will look like, what form it will take, how deep it will go, how long it will go, is better left to the real economists to figure out. But it is a safe bet that this is not going to be a year of economic recovery. For more details about this, and from someone who has a proven track record of predicting the future, we look at someone whose very job is to predict the future, Gerald Salente, the mind behind the Trends Research Institute at trendsresearch.com. Now, Gerald Salente has been much lauded, even in the controlled corporate media, even by New York Post, CNN Headline News, The Economist, USA Today, CNBC. He's been trends forecasting since 1980, and many of the trends that he has predicted have come startlingly true from the demise of the Soviet Union back in 1990 to the length and the depth of the 2001 recession to exactly how the Iraq War would unfold for the US to, of course, the Panic of 08, which he predicted in late 2007 and he predicted it would be a housing bubble burst that would cause a ripple effect in the economy. And that's exactly, of course, what took place. So what is Gerald Salente predicting for 2009? Well, I'd like to play an extended excerpt from an interview that Gerald Salente recently conducted with the Financial Sense NewsHour with Jim Paplava at FinancialSense.com. I will, of course, only have time to play a limited selection from this interview, but I highly recommend that my listeners go and follow the link from the documentation tab on today's episode to the original interview so that you can listen to it in its entirety, as it is extremely interesting and extremely valuable. Indeed, it's difficult to select an excerpt to play for this podcast episode. I would also direct my listeners to FinancialSense.com in general, and the podcast in particular, as there has been a wealth of interesting and valuable analysis of 2009 predictions from an economic perspective on FinancialSense.com recently. Right now, let's listen to that excerpt of that interview with Gerald Salente of the Trends Research Institute. Let's go to what this leads to, which is
3: uh, your second theme, and you call that the greatest depression, because certainly... The number that you just mentioned, the total unemployment picture, which is around a little over 13%, you know, those are starting to sound more like depression numbers than recession.
6: Exactly. I mean, we're only, what, 12 points away. And, and this thing is just beginning. I mean, we saw, what, the last quarter of 2008? What did they lose? About 2 million jobs? Just in the last quarter? I mean, so then, no, this thing is really catching momentum, and it's going to get much worse as these retail numbers start coming in. And remember, the United States economy is over two-thirds consumer-based. So when the consumer dries up, what do you do for an encore?
3: One of the uh, trends that you put right after the collapse of 2009, a trend post, you go, taxpayer warning, and all levels of government, and I'm reading from your letter here, will be caught up in the private sector collapse as tax base shrink and tax revenues sharply declined. Attempts will be made to raise taxes in the forms of tolls, higher user and license fees. So you could see, as you're predicting here, an anti-tax movement that could take root and flourish this year.
6: Yeah, we're going to see revolt, actually. You know, as a Bronx boy, my saying is when people lose everything and they have nothing left to lose, they lose it. And people are going to start losing it. As I said, people are one job away from losing everything. You know, we have a little clause in our, a little statement in our order page for the Trends Journal. That if you're facing financial difficulty, unemployed, disabled, student, etc., you know, let us know and we'll do the best we can to, to provide it to you. The stories that we get every day is enough to rip your heart out. People have worked their whole lives, have nothing to show for it. They've lost everything. And In many cases, they've been strong-armed or arm-twisted, I should say, by their brokers and financial advisors not to take proactive measures into the belief that everything would be okay. We're going to see, they're squeezing the little people. It's one of our trends. You look what's happening here in New York. The guy, they call himself a governor. I'm a political atheist, by the way. I don't believe in anybody's political religion. We don't bow to politicians or genuflect to leaders just to let you know where we're coming from. We look at world events, current events, consumer trends, business trends for what they are, not the way we want them to be. It's not what's good or bad, right or wrong, what you like or not like. So having said that, they want to pass 130 new taxes on the people. Yeah, at a time when median household income is way below 1999 levels, about 4% below, when we're looking at people, again, losing jobs, not, can't make ends meet, cost of everything going through the roof, and now they want to raise taxes, so they're raising tax on tolls, they're raising sin taxes, hassle taxes. Pretty soon they're going to be toilet taxes. I don't
3: know if you see it in your area, but Gerald here, we have speed traps uh, springing up all over the place. They're giving tickets, and so this is another form of what you're talking about. Go give tickets because we need revenues
6: same thing is happening here. I just had a a policeman barge into my place without knocking yesterday into our office. Walk right in. I I parked my car overnight in a county parking lot. They had my name. They thought I committed a crime. You know, for this, you know, if if I said anything wrong or looked at them the wrong way, they'd they'd throw handcuffs on you, drag you into jail. It's like having three beers, you know, when you're only supposed to have two. And, And you're good for jail. But this guy, like a Bernie Madoff, you know, this guy's locked up in his penthouse. And you see, Jim, this is what's going on and why there's going to be a revolution in this country. Because everything now is for the too big to fails. And the too small to saves go down with the ship. And it's a perfect Titanic situation. You know, when, when the Titanic was going down, the lifeboats were there for the wealthy. The rest of the people were locked into steerage, and they weren't even given life preservers.
3: You know, one of the trend posts, and I've read this in our local paper here, has talked about it, but one of the trend posts that you talk about is after the November election, the sale of safes and guns rose dramatically. I've The local papers have done stories here about that. Crime on the rise and self-protection in all its aspects will become a major trend. Petty thieves, con artists, muggers, burglars, kidnappers, street gangs, organized criminals. And so uh, rent a bodyguard and burglar-proof money mattresses and anti-theft will attract resources.
6: And you're also going to look at that happening a lot also in the technology end. You know, where headhunters are still finding employment offers people skilled in the electronic area on how to protect fraud. And this is a huge business. And it's only going to get worse, and it's going to be a worldwide crime. You know, the global economic system is collapsing in front of us, and no one knows what to do. I ask everyone the same question. The only two things they could come up with, the government, is either to adjust interest rates, which in this case, they're adjusting them to all-time lows. Whether the Bank of England just bring it down to 351-year lows, Yeah, we're near zero, or they print more money. That's it. It's the only two things they come up with. You're not going to get out of it like that. You can't print your way into prosperity. So we're going to see this thing unwinding, and they're not going to know what to do about it. And we're reading these reports that are coming in about, in Arizona, for example, the state police training for economic riots and some 30,000 troops being moved into the U.S., to train for such riots. Of course, they're saying that they are going to be immigration riots that they're preparing for. And we're not conspiracy theorists. I mean, this is stuff that we're reading, moving over the wires, about some 200 detention camps. So, this thing is in the United States that are empty. This is, is spinning out of control, and no one knows what to do. Survival is a key aspect. That every anyone should look at, and it's not about you know hiding up in the hills with rifles and pork and beans. This is real, and it's way worse than it was in the past because people. We have a growing underclass. You have oh, in major cities, they're not even graduating fifty percent of the students out of high school, and then their minds are whacked on crystal meth. Oh yeah. You're going to have a wonderful conversation with these people when they're trying to blow your brains out and take everything that you have.
3: Another uh, trend that you bring up, and I've seen this, two other people are forecasting the same thing, and that is a revolution. And you talk about it's not if, but when. And I wonder if you might begin this thought with your conversation with former Governor John Connolly.
6: Yeah, it was in 1992, about a week or so before the, the elections, And John Connolly wanted to meet me because of one of my books, Trend Tracking, in which I had forecast that there'd be a new third party and someone like Ross Perot would be the type of candidate. And of course, you know, that was at a time when, you know, 1988, when nobody thought such a thing was possible. And why I picked Ross Perot, I honestly don't know. But he was making the news a bit. And we were parked out in front of the uh, very brief part of the, the whole story, but we were parked out in front of the Dallas Book Depository right after lunch. This was John Connolly's first time back since the assassination. For those people that don't know, John Connolly was sitting in front of JFK and took a bullet in the back, went through his back and into his lungs, and out of through his lungs, through his hand, through his knee. He was scrunched up in a seat, in a jump seat, sitting in front of uh, Kennedy. And as Connolly told the story, I mean, I'll never forget it. He, he said, you know, he said, I heard a gunshot. I looked over to my right, I knew it was a gunshot because I was hunting since I was a little boy. And he said, I looked over to my left, and he said he was wearing a dark blue suit that day. And he showed how he was scrunched up in the seat. And he said, I looked over to my left, and he said there were brains on my shoulder. He said, I know there were brains because my daddy was a butcher. And I never liked Connolly from, from what I had known from him in the media. But that day I was taken by him, you know, from lunch on, you know. Every word he was speaking was like a sentence. And it was one of those things I'm saying, I wish I had a tape recorder. I have a photograph, and it's in the Trends Journal. I just saw a much younger me standing in front of the book depository with he and his wife, Nellie. And on the way back, I realized that Connolly was a dying man because my father, his soul rest in peace, had died of asbestos poisoning from working in the shipyards during World War II. And they had him on heavy doses of Prendazone you know, to, for the lung inflammation, and Connolly was experiencing lung, lung inflammation as well from the bullet wound from 30 years earlier. And he was on Prendazone. I could see in his hands these big, ugly purple splotches and a stiffness in his gait. Same thing that happened to my dad. So I knew, you know, these, this guy was on his way out. And, he, and I felt it from that point that he was, I realized why I was so enthralled by what he was saying. He was speaking like a dying man. Whether or not he knew it, I don't know. But I knew it. and I'd seen it before. So as we're walking back into the Anatole Hotel, he looked at me and he said, You know, I read your book. He said, It's a fine piece of work. And I know your heart's in the right place. He said, Well, you don't have a clue what's going on. And neither do the American people. Because if they did, there'd be a revolution in this country.
0: Once again, an incredible interview that is available at financialsense.com. Please follow the link from the documentation tab to find that particular interview with Gerald Salente. And this much-lauded trends forecaster, world-renowned for his ability to predict trends before they start, is now predicting not only an economic collapse in 2009, but a year of revolution, tax revolution, revolt by the citizenry, and economic crises. Now, while there are some out there who believe that dwelling on this information is merely giving into the fear, I think it is in fact the exact opposite. That if we do not look at this information, we will not be able to understand what's happening, and thus will not be able to accurately understand what is going to happen in the near future. Unfortunately, it seems that 2009 may be the year of the Chinese curse, May you live in interesting times. Well, things are getting set to become very interesting indeed. But there is a bright spot among all of this information, and that is the key kernel of truth, that forewarned is forearmed, that knowledge is power, and in some cases, the power to predict the future. So, in the light of such information, and understanding what is likely to unfold in the coming year, What can people do to help prepare themselves? That is an increasingly important question to be asking, and I certainly hope that my listeners are asking it at the moment. Of course, something spoken about by Gerald Salente is the need for bush gardens, that is, victory gardens, but for the 21st century, converting usable land, even your front yard or backyard, into cropland becoming self-sustaining, making things do, making things work, making do with less. This is going to be a year of tightening the belt. Of course, this will be a difficult process for many people, myself included, who have become used to a certain lifestyle. But there is help out there. One source of information about tightening the belt comes from the Corbett Report's own Dictator Hater, our frequent article writer and contributor to the article section of the Corbett Report website, Dictator Hater, in conjunction with Kate Prince, has co-founded thefrugalzone.com, a website which gives information about how to survive the coming economic hard times. On this website, you'll find a wealth of information about how to save money, including free downloadable eBooks filled with tips on saving money. Last month, I interviewed Kate Prince for the Corbett Report website about thefrugalzone.com and some of the valuable tips for saving money contained in the free ebooks. Let's listen to an excerpt from that interview. All right, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to write this book and also start thefrugalzone.com?
7: Sure. Well, um,. About seven years ago, I downshifted my life, and uh, we, that's my husband, and I decided that a good family life was more important to us than having lots of shiny things. And uh, in order to learn, um, well, in order to do that, we had to learn how to get by on a lot less, and uh, raising a family is, is fairly expensive, um, so it was a steep uh, learning curve for us, and um, so that, you know, it, was a, it really was a steep learning curve. Um, and I wish that I'd had a book, a guidebook, to, uh, to help me through, show me the, the things that I needed to do, which could make a big impact on, uh, on my uh, um, expenses. So, um, so really, that's, that's why we, we wrote the book. Uh, now I'm an old hand at uh, Frugal Living, and um, I wanted to share what I knew, with everybody else, especially now that you know the economy has gone so horribly wrong, and lots of people are struggling and wondering how they can cut back and uh, save money. Um, really now, I I'm spending personally less money than I was say two years ago, uh, even though I've got three children and they've got humongous appetites. Um, you know, I'm saving. Le- I'm spending less on food and utility costs. So, um, so yeah, really, I got together with uh, with Corbett Report's own dictator hater, and we put the book together, uh, along with the website. And so far, we've had a lot of uh, positive feedback on the book. So we know that it's it's already helping people, and we hope it'll help a lot more people uh, in the future. Um, we wanted to put everything in everything that we knew. About saving money uh, in one easy-to-use guide. We know there's plenty of uh, information around on the net, but finding good stuff takes time. And a lot of the a lot of cases, the sites um, they want you to hand over money for their books. Um, and we didn't want to do that. We wanted to be a free re- resource for people. Um, and also, which um, maybe will resonate with uh, with your listeners, is we wanted a chance to sound off a little and hopefully educate people about the ways that we're all manipulated every day into spending money that we don't have on things that we don't need. And, um, you know, and if you don't mind, then I'd like to get across to your listeners is that they're being manipulated too. Um, you know, they're probably familiar with the term sheeple and may use it themselves to describe a certain kind of person. Well, you know, if, if you're buying prepackaged junk at the supermarket or you're, uh, you're spending a week's grocery money on a single meal at a restaurant, then you're a sheeple too. Um, we all are because we're all manipulated from cradle to grave. And I really do believe that adopting a more frugal lifestyle and becoming more self-reliant, refusing to participate in consumerism at the level uh, that we are, It's part of the solution to our current predicament. So, you know, take a a good hard look at your own lifestyle and ask, is it part of the problem or is it part of the solution?
0: Once again, no one knows the hour of the time. No one can tell exactly what is going to happen when. But we can understand what is likely to happen based on our information about what is happening now, what has happened in the past, and what the powers that be have stated they want to accomplish. Heinz Kissinger and David Rockefeller may be bragging that this is the time of generated crises that will bring about their new world order, but we should take that as a rallying call. Indeed, this is the time to step up our resistance. These crises will bring about chaos, which the new world order hopes to bring about their own special brand of order in these chaotic times all bets are off and anything is possible people are waking up to this information and as the economy continues to unfold and the economic hard times hit more and more people closer and closer to home people will become more interested in what is really happening in the world than watching american idol or dancing with the stars no doubt this is going to be an interesting year and hopefully the Corbett Report will be there to help make sense of what's happening. Forewarned is forearmed. Get informed and get others informed about what is really happening and what is likely to happen. That's it for this week. I am your host, James Corbett. Join me again next week for another edition of the Corbett Report.
6: going on, and neither do the American people, because if they did, there'd be a revolution in this country.